stay at home on nine to five, raising your babies with joy and pride. A real ass mom, your real ass mom, taking care of business. Ooh, girl, you're resilient. Cause you're a real ass mom, a real ass mom. Welcome to the Real Mama Pod. I'm your host, Devin. And I'm your host, Kendra. We are real moms. Sharing real experiences. The, the things people don't tell you. Hey. Hey, mama. How you doing? I'm well, friend. How are you? I am super fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Please share why you're super fantastic. The people want to so, know. Okay. As you know, I've been working out every morning since Monday mm -hmm. and this is my fourth day and I'm feeling the results like I feel good I have energy I've been eating all the things I'm supposed to be eating I've been going to bed on time ever since Rita's episode like I've been trying to get my life together yeah I can I, first yeah. of all I'm proud of you for sticking sticking to the goal and between Rita and and still Sherez from season one like I have been intentional about keeping myself like up appearance wise and just how I feel and keeping things organized after Rita's episode. Like she really dropped some key pointers about like how to organize life. So I can, I can agree to that for sure. But, yes. and you, you know, I'm super excited because we have a guest <laughs> and you know, Is I love there ever a time when you're not so. super excited. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm super excited. We have a guest. I'm super excited. We have a guest. But yes, okay, we but are can I excited. Tell you why? Like it's Black History Month, right? Yes, indeed. And we have the best possible person to talk about this subject. And I am just so honored. Everything is like full circle. We've known this person <laughs> since we were freshmen in college. Yes, like she was our Miss Fam You. I miss fam you, y'all. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, go ahead. Go into the introduction, friend. <laughs> So, I cannot wait. <laughs> so we have Dr. Kimberly Brown Pelham. And like Devin and I mentioned, Kimberly was like, she was our Miss FAMU. Like we were young girls coming to FAMU, didn't know what we wanted out of life. And she was just this mm -hmm. beautiful figure, not just physically, but internally as well. Like she was always so yes. welcoming and so nice. And she was a pleasure to have as Mrs. FAMU, or not Mrs., Miss FAMU. But <laughs> I, I want to give some background about uh, Kim and just who she is because she's amazing. So I'm just going to read her bio because I feel like word for word is just perfect. So Dr. Pelham with a terminal degree in United States history from Howard University. Kimberly specializes in the history of women's images, Southern culture. Yes, for the Southern girls and the black freedom struggle. I'm here for this. Her contributions to publicly accessible history include work at the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of American History, the National Park Service, the Rosa Parks Museum, and Google's Arts and Culture series. Kimberly is currently a member of the faculty in the Department of History at the Florida A&M University, and sparkle is her favorite color. 
need to know what the sparkle color yes. is. Check <laughs> out Kimberly. Like, she's amazing. So I, I'm here, me and Devin are both here to introduce. Her name is Dr. Kimberly Brown Pelham, but she prefers to go by Kim in this conversation. So welcome to The Real Mama Pod, Kim. Thank y'all for having me. I'm <laughs> so appreciative of y'all thinking of me for this platform. Yes, we don't have, have it any, any other, other way. way. <laughs> how, do, how do we have the same response? But that's the truth. We really right. wouldn't have it any other way. Like there, when we were talking about and like, I didn't Black realize history. because of the scheduling, I didn't realize that I was the Black History Month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so now, now I feel really, really important. So thank you. Yes, you yes, are our person are for important. this for sure. So, Kim, tell us about your journey to mamahood. Well, it started actually with, of course, you know how babies come, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to start with my husband and I and how we met. Um, We were both teaching at Alabama State University in Montgomery, Alabama, Uh, I guess one of the flagship HBCUs in the state. Fun fact about uh, Alabama, more HBCUs than any other state in the nation. All right, okay. Alabama. And my husband does, um, he has expertise in digital media and design. And at the time, I wanted an illustrator for some children's books that I that I was working on. And you know how um, during the faculty institute, you find out um, which faculty do what. And they identified him as someone in um, graphic design, doing photography. And so I introduced myself to him and I said, can you handle like a two week turnaround on (laughs) illustrations? And he laughed like, that's cute. Clearly, you don't know what you're talking about. And we ended up uh, going out and he quoted me um, for the illustrations I was not interested in paying that price. And so I, you know, paid in other ways. And here we are with two children <laughs> and a home. Beautiful story. <laughs> like, you know, so that, that is the precursor to my journey to motherhood. And uh, we were married for about a year before our daughter arrived. Um, she's four years old now, and now we have a son um, who is the fourth in a line of Fredericks. And yeah, it's it's been a beautiful journey, um, one full of challenges for sure, as any mama can tell you. My pregnancies were difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, suffered, you know, some miscarriages prior to and you know, all of those things, but motherhood is just one of those experiences that I call um, the deepest learning experience on the human journey, because I, I really believe that there is nothing that you can feel as intensely mm-hmm. <laughs> as you do about delivering and nurturing and raising a child. Um, so yeah, it's been all of the things. 100% agree with that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I love that. And thank you for your transparency. Um, I didn't know you experienced um, a miscarriage. So thank you for that. Um, Okay, so we're talking about Black History Month. We're talking about African-American history. Like, when did you fall in love with African-American history? 
So I'm born and raised in Montgomery, Alabama, mm-hmm. right? That's, <laughs> so that's it's enough. Hard there. <laughs> it's very difficult mm-hmm. uh, to be a kid in the 80s, 90s in Montgomery and not be enveloped in the story of Black folks, community and resistance. And my mother is a Tuskegee grad. My father is an Alabama State graduate. And we all know that there is a particular tradition and a particular ideology that those of us who graduate from HBCUs carry, um, particularly as it relates to memory and ancestral reverence. And so my parents who are from rural Alabama and also HBCU graduates, especially carry that reverence for who we are and our journey to get where we are. And so my earliest memories include my mom taking me to Booker T. Washington's home on Tuskegee's campus. Mm. And I remember the walls being um, enameled in real gold. (laughs) Um, And it was just so spectacular and fascinating to know that a hundred years ago, and you know, this is what a black man not only dreamt for himself, but actually built for himself. Mm. And uh, the campus of Tuskegee is so amazing and historic. Don't tell anybody, but one of my dirty little secrets is that uh, Tuskegee is actually my favorite physical HBCU campus just because of the history that it encompasses. Booker T. Washington and his family um, are buried there. George Washington Carver is buried there. There's the Carver Museum on campus. There's the Tuskegee Airmen Museum on campus. And so as a kid, you know, my mom exposed me to all of that stuff. And it was just, you know, I I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the homecomings were always a big deal. My, we used to go to Alabama State's homecoming, um, which was called, and hopefully we'll get back to that tradition. It's one of the um, oldest class, HBCU classics. It's called the Turkey Day Classic, where uh, ASU actually plays Tuskegee. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a huge deal um, for a lot of Black folks, particularly in this region, where mm-hmm. half your family graduated from Tuskegee, the other half graduated from Bama State. And so to see Black women perched on floats and wearing furs and these flowing <laughs> dresses. Uh, y'all mentioned earlier, sparkle is my favorite color, honey. Um, <laughs> I was just very drawn to that, right? Um, it was exciting. People mm-hmm. dressed up. It was, I mean, the music, the food, why not? And right. um, so that those were my first memories of history and culture. And I was I was sold. Mm-hmm. My I grandfather went to Tuskegee. Um, and he's my my grandparents are from Alabama. So it's really it's good to hear your perspective. I, I grew up in well, all around the world, but my family was based in Florida. Um, so it's good to hear your perspective on growing up and learning about African American or black history um, from the lens of someone who grew up like in the Mecca of, of black history, right? So that's awesome, awesome, awesome. So you you mentioned that you have two children um, and y'all live in Montgomery, right? 
So how do you all instill like our culture, black culture, African-American history into your children? And are you all pushing or will you push for them to attend an HBCU? So this is not a fake Zoom background. This is actually <laughs> where my husband and I work. And I would show you the rest of the room, but it's a hot mess. Um, but we call it our learning lounge, right? Um, my kids are partially homeschooled uh, right now. They're young, so we don't know what we're going to do um in the future but right now they are homeschooled and as i mentioned before my husband and i both taught at hbcus and we are firm believers in instilling in our children the importance of the black tradition but we're not <laughs> we're not so crazy that we wake up in the morning like recite this marcus garvey right now <laughs> it's not that type of party but certainly it's in the books that they see on our shelves it's in the art that is on our walls it's you know it's in the things that um we practice at home the rituals that we honor my kids already know right after christmas baby we rolling into kwanzaa what is you talking about like um so they appreciate who they are um already and i just want to make sure that that is something that they retain as they continue to grow so i think you know just by virtue of what they're exposed to not just in our home but outside of it you know we went to um family's homecoming this past year and it was a big deal for my two-year-old little baby y'all <laughs> so he's born in 2020 right so true COVID baby this dude has never been to the target he ain't been like to the church he listen so his whole reference point for many things is the YouTube Aww. and so on Fridays we have family Friday and I played up. My kids know the alma mater. Yes. <laughs> um, I play, you know, um, say la la. We do, yeah. you know, we just do it all. Those we have a little jams. rally in our cameras. And so uh, we call my son four because he's the fourth. And um, he he marches. He says, I'm the band. He says, I'm the family band. <laughs> and so when we took him to convocation this year, that was like a huge thing uh, for both of them. And so I think not only uh, being in our home, but also um, hopefully as their parents curating these experiences for them um, will give them what my mother gave to me, which was an exciting lens through which to um, study uh, their history and, and their present identity. Mm -hmm. Which HBCU did I your husband that. attend again? Raggedy Fort Valley, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we love all HBCUs, but you know how we feel about we those rattlers. <laughs> I gotta get some more Fort Valley stuff in here. Y'all see my gold rattler? I have. We have our um, little y'all. Have y'all seen the HBCU dolls that just? Yes. So we have Tuskegee. We have the FAMU one. Um. So I said I'm gonna be more intentional and be a 
good wife and I'm gonna start getting more Fort Valley stuff around here. So because I got I have a whole room I call the Rattler Room. Yes. <laughs> like you are insane. And so is everybody else who graduates from FAMU. Yes. Look, thankfully both of our husbands went to FAMU. So Mm-hmm. If they didn't, they'd probably be tired of us. Like, it's always, we're always putting on for the Rattler vibes. So do your babies have to go to FAMU or no. any HBCU? If they go to school, yes. Okay. My money will go to an HBCU, but mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not wrapped up in FAM, especially as a professor. Mm-hmm. I think that there are so many of our institutions that have signature programs, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at North Carolina A&T and their engineering program, it's top notch. Um, yeah. Howard and pharmacy, FAMU and pharmacy, uh, FAMU, of course, everything at FAMU is top notch, but mm-hmm. God bless the others, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, You know, Tuskegee, uh, their veterinarian program um, is legendary. And so I tend to, even with my students um, who are considering graduate school and advanced studies, I tend to encourage them to think about the institutions that carry the programs that reflect their interests. Mm -hmm. And so I would tell my, my children the same thing. Okay, I love that. So when we're talking about culture, how would you describe Black culture or African-American culture? Um, Sometimes I struggle with that, like giving it a definition. So I would like to see what you I think I struggle with that, too. (laughs) (laughs) I think I struggle with that, too. There is um, so much variety, right, Mm -hmm. in who Black people are, um, particularly as you talk about the diaspora, like Black people around the world. And then even um, for those of us who are descendants of enslaved people in America, um, there is diversity there. And one of the things that I begin my semesters with um, in my intro to African-American history course is to help my students understand um, that, you know, prior to Uh, the modern era prior to 1500, 1400, there is no such thing as race, right? It's all invented. Um, Slavery and the rise of Christianity requires the invention of racism and race in order to um, support this oppressive system that ultimately um, provides the economy necessary for building the Western world. All of that to say, you know, these people came from various places in West Africa, right? Um, And so in the same way that whiteness is invented, blackness has to be invented as well, right? You're talking about people that are Wolof and Igbo and Ashanti, and, you know, they speak a number of different languages. They practice uh, a number of, um, you know, spiritual practices. And, And so there is no monolith, uh, so to speak. And the ways in which Blackness um, emerges is through intentionality. Like we know we have to get on the same page, regardless of tribal affiliation. Um, There are some commonalities that exist in our experience, and therefore we have to find ways to communicate. And one of the examples that I always point to and start with 
is the 1811 um, slave revolt in Louisiana. And I think there's something like 50 different African tribes represented in the revolt. Um, but all of them understand that we are about to take white supremacy down right. and they communicate through, shout out to the March 100 percussion, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we will find ways um, to communicate with one another that, um, you know, goes beyond the language and the, and the tongue. And so um, I think in some ways we have to acknowledge that because of the reality of slavery, there was never, um, a, there was never a, a, a unit, if you will, there was never sort of a, a solid um, block of what blackness is, um, you know, culturally, ethnically, or otherwise, that was something uh, that had to be invented. And I think when we reckon with that, it puts us in a better position to reckon with um, our unique differences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you talk to Black people in California, they come in with a different vibe than Black folks in Alabama, you yes. know? Mm -hmm. And so I think when you understand the context for all of that, um, it puts us in a better position to evaluate where we are now. I love that. That was good. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in history class, but not just history, black history, mm -hmm. black history. So for those parents who, cause I, I'm going to be honest, I didn't grow up around black history. I, you know, I was a military brat, so I moved all over the country and, or world rather. And my black history came from whatever stories my grandparents wanted to tell me whenever I, I went home. Like I didn't have a, a class that I was able to attend or even in my history classes, they may talk about Martin Luther King in February and that's it. So I didn't really have a core place to to turn to when it comes to black history. So for those parents who may not have access to, you know, or, or their kids schools may not have access to black history um, and, and they're they're yearning for their children to learn more about their culture and, and their history. Uh, what advice could you give to those parents so that they can um teach their children what they are, are not learning outside of the home? I love that question. And black parents have always had to reckon with that, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's funny that you bring that up um, now while there's so much happening in Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, and not just Florida, but, you know, Florida Florida's has in been the headlines. in the headlines recently <laughs> for, you know, Governor DeSantis's decision to do away with the AP course in African American history, which was led that that initiative was led by FAMU grad. I'm mm -hmm. going to say that as well. Um, but to your question about Black parents and what resources they might use, the first thing that I would say is to reach out. Uh, to to folks who carry some expertise, right? And I think sometimes we think about expertise through a narrow lens. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a professor, right? Talk to your grandmama. <laughs> Let's start there, right? Ask her where they're originally from. One of the assignments that I give when we're talking about the great migration in class, you know, how many of y'all are from Chicago? Ask your grandmother where she's originally from, 
why they left, how they got from Alabama to Chicago, um, what realities pushed them from one place to another. What was that journey like? What was the what what are what were the differences in their experiences in the South versus the Midwest? And so that would be my first piece of recommendation is start with where you are, you know, talk to your great aunt and your great uncles. Uh, the second piece of advice I would give is to record them. I am very adamant, you know, people ask me all the time for recommendations and I send them um, sort of a, a briefing on how to do oral history with family members because unfortunately um, so much of African-American history has been lost, right? And there are ways in which that we can exercise agency in recovering what is right here in front of us. We have the technology, honey, if we're doing a podcast, then certainly you can record your auntie telling you mm -hmm. about your family's history. Um, and then lastly, shameless plug, right? Um, this is why, or part of the reason why I uh, developed the historyconsultants.com. I always wanted to run an agency that brought academically sound history um, to communities that might otherwise not have access to it. Because to your point, everybody ain't enrolled in the AFAM class at the HBCU. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think everybody should have access to it. Uh, I think the internet can be very tricky these days. Everybody in their Nima has a Black History 101 account on the Instagram and down to the YouTube. And so sometimes it's difficult to weave through um, you know, factual history versus, you know, the kind of mythical stuff that we see put out there. And so um, myself, along with uh, my best friend, Dr. Arlisha Norwood, who's also a graduate of Howard University, uh, we work together to make history accessible to various publics. And, um, you know, We've both done children's books. I just did a uh, Go Fish card game called Black Heroes recently. Um, so there are all kinds of, of resources out there. And I am one to encourage parents to make sure that the resources that you're procuring from your kids come from um, worthwhile sources. Wow. Thank you. For I love that. that. I'm glad you said that too. Um, so two things to recording like the people that are alive now, right? So full circle, my sisters and I were talking today in a text message and we we're just talking about our great grandfather and how we didn't know much about him. And she literally picked up the phone and called my grandfather and she, he gave her all this information. So I was like, this summer, we're going to go around and record the elders and our family so we can capture this. And there are agencies that charge you a lot of money for this. <laughs> Alina actually did a podcast on an agency that does this. Honestly, we can't afford it because I looked into it, but I'm like, this is my summer thing. This is what I'm doing. Like I'm interviewing my family members. I'm documenting things. I am getting all into it because I really don't know mm -hmm. a lot. And we found out so much from just a five minute conversation. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm happy you said that. Yeah. And I'm happy you're doing it. Yeah. I'm happy you're doing it. And it's going to be so fulfilling. Another thing that everybody has to do is get on the genealogy websites. There are, you know, 
tons of them out there. Uh, but you know, definitely make sure that you're taking advantage of those digital family trees because mm -hmm. you never know who you're connected to that may have already collected some of the information that you're interested in. So hop on that as well. Yeah, that's true. I, when I go I'm glad home, you said that. I needed that confirmation. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to start because I have these conversations with the elders in my family, like my great aunts and great uncles, and they have a lot of history. Like they know a lot of of how our family grew up how it started like where the roots are and most of my family is from Alabama like the deep country Monroeville places that you don't you have no idea <laughs> we might be cousins <laughs> and so you know I I'm gonna take that nugget um Kim with like recording because I when I went home this past Christmas I sat down with one of my great aunts and asked her, like, tell me more about my family because I I don't know much. Like, you know, I, I want to know as much as I can. And I feel like I'm going to turn into the family historian um, mm -hmm. because of just me inquiring about, like, who we are, where did we come from. And because we, we didn't come from Pensacola. Like, I know that our roots are 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 much deeper than this. So I'm going to take that nugget and start recording a lot of those conversations, both visually and uh, an auditorial uh, version of, of them as well. So I'm, I'm going to steal that one. I'm going to show you guys this. Okay. okay. Is oh that a family goodness. tree book? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So my aunt Alice, who is in her eighties and is the last living, she's my great aunt, sibling of my grandmother's siblings just gifted me with this it wow. is she has been the family historian for decades um they have always and this is another reason why i have gravitated to history as a, a professional route um, they used to take me to their land the the original plantation where they wow. came from uh, and so my Aunt Alice has held on to this for years. And this last time I visited, she said, it's yours. <laughs> You're wow. the family historian. You can have it. So this is my favorite thing that came out of 2022. And it has, um, you know, it tells you um, who was enslaved and what happened thereafter and mm. it has a picture of what they call the old place the old home place where you know the original home where all the siblings started so. wow that is wow. some rich history I you got to get digitals of that um kim and maybe <laughs> put it in a safety deposit box or something at the bank so nothing happens to it right no you're right huh. you're absolutely right. oh my gosh i just got chills Wow, I'm gonna have to ask my great aunt. Like, y'all got some books or something you can give me? <sighs> and take a genealogy class, y'all. Maybe use me in this homeschool journey. I have learned so much at the regular, basic local library. Like, wow. 
you go to the local library, they have genealogy classes and all types of stuff that your tax dollars already pay for. Mm. And I took a genealogy mm. class last summer and really enjoyed it. And, you know, the professionals who do this work can kind of guide you through how to make the family trees, how to make use of things like tax documents, divorce records, um, marriage licenses, and how to connect those dots so that you can provide the context for your own story. So I, I would highly recommend gathering records as well. Absolutely. Adding that to my to-do list. Yeah. For the and summer. Jonathan might have to I'm do excited. that together. I want to know more about his side of the family too. I need to know where my kids, you know, roots are going to be. <laughs> as a collective, where do they come from? Yeah. <sighs> So speaking of historian and all this stuff, you've made some history. So how does it feel to serve as a reference model for the Rosa Parks statue in um, Montgomery, Alabama? So let me tell you something. Yeah, tell us. You know, on a regular day, I suffer from the same imposter syndrome, the same you know, questioning myself that a lot of women experience. But baby, the Rosa Parks statue is big KBP, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Not little KBP, this is big KBP. Absolutely. Um, no, I've done, I've had a privilege to do a lot of fun, amazing things career-wise, but this by far has to be on the top of that list. Um, it, it is beyond an honor to have served as the model for a statue that people are going to take pictures by, take pictures of, um, write about for years to come of such, not only a remarkable woman, but a woman who has ties to um, my home state. Mm -hmm. You know, I am a student of history. I am a student of women's history and women's activism. And so to, you know, just to be a native of Montgomery and um, be selected for that, um, you know, I don't know if it gets better than that. Yes. Uh, so many layers. Yeah, not too long after that, actually, I was on a History Channel podcast about mm -hmm. Rosa Parks's legacy and specifically the arrest of Claudette Colvin and um, how it also helped to shape the Montgomery bus boycott. So yeah, um, just talk about destiny and the universe sort of working together. Um, that has been one of those moments that I will never forget and I will always cherish. I can only imagine. When we saw that you served as the, the model for that statue, we we're, from the outside looking in, we're very proud of that moment um, for you because of you being from Montgomery. Rosa Parks is obviously a notable figure, and you represent for the Rattler family. Like, that's amazing. So I know it happened some years ago, but congratulations on such an amazing – I don't know if we want to title it an accomplishment or what, but it's, it's great that you were able to serve in that way. Your state and your, your blackness, everything about it is just amazing. 
So I have a question. You mentioned early in this conversation that you wrote a book. That's kind of how, I guess, what tied you with your husband and all that fun stuff. But we want to know, like, how did you get into becoming an author? You know what? So <laughs> I hate to always go back to HBCU, but it, it really is true. Right? <laughs> hey, that's, that's Most the of life. Us that graduate do go on to get advanced degrees. Like there's just a caliber of excellence, particularly at FAMU. Like all my line sisters are the OBGYN, they the veterinarian, they the public health official, they all up. Um and so many of you know, because of you know what is required of you when you get the terminal degree in whatever field you're in, for me it was the PhD in history, you're expected to write. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if you get hired and you're on a tenure track, part of the expectation is, is to continue the research and publish in order to keep your job. Mm-hmm. And I was so exhausted at the end of my PhD. And I also questioned myself a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and I, I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do with the academic side of my research. And so I said, you know what, in order to give myself a breather and still do history, uh, but do it in a way in which I think has a little bit more impact because when you write for for a scholarly audience, ain't nobody reading that but other scholars, right? Mm -hmm. That is fact. (laughs) But when you do a a children's book, there's an opportunity to impact a family. And so I said, I would do something that still allows me to share my expertise, but do it in such a way that I felt like had a little bit more meaning to it. And it also gave me an opportunity to breathe and sort of step away from the serious research and the people who critique you and tell you that you're crazy and it's not worth publishing. So I started with Queen Like Me. And then we worked on superhero like me. And since then we've been on a roll. We're, we're working on some coloring books now. Like I, I mentioned before, I just did the Go Fish game. Um, so we still do a lot of uh, children's work. Um, my partner, Dr. Norwood, um, produced a children's book as well. Um, all of our stuff is on on our, our website. And so um, it's part of our mission to, again, make history accessible. Part of that is an emphasis on families and children, because mm-hmm. why, why are we here? You know, what, what is it Jocelyn said? Like, oh, why is you here? <laughs> what, what are you doing? Um, and so if it's not, <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all, y'all came like the late night me. But yeah, like, you know, it's cool to be Dr. So-and-so, but, you know, and and Black 
families will humble you, right? Like I remember they coming will. home after winning this family, and my mom was like, "That is so cool, girl. Wash those dishes." Mm-hmm. And so I've always grown up with the mentality that that stuff doesn't matter. Like, who are you serving? And so a lot of the work that I do as a consultant is family and children's focused. Um, but I've, I've done other books, too. Um, I have a book on African-American pageant queens uh, during Jim mm. Crow. I'm working on still working on my quote unquote academic research as well. Hopefully that will come out at some point. So, yeah, we're doing a few things. That's some good things. Yes, you're doing them. Amazing things. Um, so yes, we do have your flashcards here. So I want to show everyone. They are so yes. cute. Um, and then we also have. Then where'd you get them? Amazon. They're really? Amazon. <laughs> now let me tell you, I had to Google search these like ten times in order for it to get in my cart, but I made it work, and it was there because I googled it and it popped up. But then, um. Then when I went to my Amazon app, it wouldn't show up there, but it showed up on Google. So I had to like copy and paste it, but it worked and we have them. So the Real Mama Pod have these. And then we also have your other book too, Black Women in Science. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. And I'm going to have to link that Go Fish game to my Amazon authors page. So that, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I also, I think I searched your name too, and that's how I was able to find it. But yeah, these are really cute. Um, I love them. The boys like them. And yeah, so love that. That's off. Um, yes, you're you're doing it. You're being very I'm humble trying. right now, but you're, you're, you're doing it. You are doing it. So my last question would be, with the culture of today's world, in the United States, let's just say the United States, like, do you see us making positive steps in the right direction? Who is us? Just (laughs) as a country. country. (laughs) Because we have all the DEI stuff now. Everybody wanted to be diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's great. Mm -hmm. And it's besides these conversations that we have at work from our DEI officers, it takes action to, to go beyond that. So do you do you see there being a shift in the way the world blue uh, blues views black folks, people of color and the way that we're treated? Like, do you see, I guess, a step in uh, a a better direction, um, I guess we should say, um, with, I guess, the way that the world views us or this just this country? Let's just keep it here for, for now. I don't know. To be honest, that's a that's a huge question to try to unpack. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, w- I would never say that I'm in any position to answer. I will offer some general and personal thoughts. And I'll start with saying that as a mother, it is very difficult for me to see the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, here in Montgomery specifically, the home of the civil rights movement, our public schools are underfunded. Um, some of them are not safe. Um, their scores uh, often tend to be failing. And there are a plethora 
of white church-run private schools that are, of course, well-funded and the antithesis of everything that I just described. And this is the home of the civil rights movement, right? Mm -hmm. And in order to get in those spaces, you have to be able to cough up a certain amount of money. Mm -hmm. And so when a state like mine celebrates the legacy of Dr. King, who you know, is known for his message of equality, is difficult for me to reconcile those realities. And I'm a parent who wants my children to come back home to me every day. And so it's difficult for me to make these decisions about, you know, do I put them in a public school where I know they're not getting what they need to do, what they need to get, excuse me. Um, or do I put them in a place that I don't feel like is culturally reflective at all, um, but maybe a bit safer and offer them some more resources? Like that's a tough, you know, that's a, that's a difficult um, line to straddle, especially when you're talking about your children and attempting to set them up for a decent future. Yeah. Which is why um, I've been considering homeschooling. And so to answer your question about like what the future holds. I have no idea, but I grapple with it every day as I'm sure a lot of mamas do because our concern about the future ultimately is rooted in our concern about our own children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I have to stay off the internet. Uh, In fact, I I got off Instagram. That's why (laughs) some of my responses to you have been slow because I only for the last couple of months, I only check it from my computer. Um, Cause with the app on my phone, I tend to check it more and I'm trying to be intentional about mm-hmm. staying away a little bit because it can be depressing. And one of the most recent things that I got caught in a rabbit hole on was um, a little boy who was killed by police because he was in the car with a driver who was attempting to to get away. And then I'm not sure if you guys heard about the um, black teacher who was in a car accident and was asking the police for help. (laughs) And they tased him to death. And so when I think about my children, it is difficult to fathom how to make a better tomorrow for them. Mm -hmm. But I am also, this is one of the reasons why I study history because it's therapeutic for me. Because I know that I have a whole lot more working to my advantage than my ancestors did. Mm -hmm. And so if they can build an independent black town five years after the Civil War. If they can establish an institution that still educates young black people 150 years later, then certainly I can figure out how to make it till tomorrow. That's the way to take us home. Me and Devin have these conversations a lot about how we want to raise our boys you know it's 
hard because we want our, our kids to be raised in communities where the people around them look like them. And we understand that those communities are our communities oftentimes has those their schools are like you mentioned right and it sucks that we have to make these decisions as mothers of black children you know you want to send your your kids or be housed in the right school district but a lot of those school districts look like those white churches you mentioned right and there's our kids won't see themselves in those spaces, right? Or, or typically they don't. So it, it sucks that we have to have these conversations with our partners and amongst friends and say, where are you sending your kids to school? Like, maybe we should look to purchase a home in that area because of X, Y, and Z. And what does the diversity look like in that school? How many black teachers do they have? How many brown teachers do they have? You know, like, it's, we don't have to, like, we shouldn't have to have these conversations, but we do. We do. So it's it sucks. Um, and honestly, it's it's very disheartening. Um, and it, it's a struggle because no one wants their kids to have to struggle through school because they're not represented. And I didn't realize how much of a struggle that was until I had my own child. And it's like, damn, like these are things I Oh, baby, I was an opinionated auntie. I had <laughs> all the thoughts and why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Very, <laughs> I had the solution for everything as an auntie. And now that I'm a mama, baby, I don't judge anybody for the decisions mm -hmm. that they're making because the road is not easy. Mm -mm. It's really not. And it's like, it's like you're choosing a less of a two evils, right? It's like, okay, so I move in the zip code so my child can have a quality education but, like, may have identity issues. Or I move over here where it's more people that look like them but under-resourced, and I don't even know if they get a proper education. It's just, like, there is no right answer, and you have to do what's best for you and your family and your child. And if you do have to move to that zip code, like really trying to instill things at home. Right. And it's like you as a black parent, you feel like you have to be extra involved in the activities and PTAs and groups and committees at the school because you need to know what's going on, who's around my child or my children on a day to day. What are their parents like? Because you can tell a lot about certain kids just based on your interactions with their parents. Like, mm -mm, this ain't it, right? So it's like we have to go this extra mile just to make sure our kids feel safe, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. And it's yeah. it's so, it just, it's scary. It's, it's very scary to me, to be honest. And my child's not even in grade school yet. But just thinking like a couple years from now, he's going to be in grade school. And what is what is school going to give him? You know, what is it going to give us as a family? So huh, good conversation. Good conversation. Good conversation. Sure. So, Kim, where can the people find you? Get all your great books, games, all the things. Uh, where's the best place they can find you? thehistoryconsultants.com. We have some great uh, book lists too. Okay. We have a 365-day um, a resource guide because people used to always DM me and ask me for book recommendations. What should I be reading? So we have that, that you can print, share. Um, and we're also working on a kid's book recommendation list as oh, well. Oh, I love that. Because um, people are 
also asked for those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, historyconsultants.com. My uh, email address is on there. So if folks have questions, um, we try to be as accommodating as possible and provide, you know, just all kinds of resources and um, work really uh, to make sure that folks understand uh, history because I, I think sometimes the presentation of public history can be difficult for folks to digest. Uh, so we do everything from workshops to leading tours. We have one coming up in Birmingham uh, for Black History Month, huge conference of like 300 people. So we're preparing for that right now. Okay. Just to make sure that um, people understand what they're viewing, right? Especially in this age of social media where folks take a picture and, you know, that is the extent of their experience in front of the statue mm -hmm. rather than understanding why it's there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the process that it took to get there. Um, you mentioned you're in Savannah, which is um, a historic city that I love mm -hmm. um, for many, many reasons. But I think a lot of times with public history, um, museums, cultural institutions, unfortunately, we don't understand the process that it takes, right, to open the African-American Smithsonian, right? Mm -hmm. What, where are the public dollars? Who, who are the private funders? And how does that influence what exhibits get in there, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> um, what kind of fight it took? to get the lynching museum in Montgomery and why many of the donors are probably not from Alabama and why organizations like the Alabama Historical Society were opposed to having signs that spoke about the reality of slavery near the river, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's important to have some understanding around that um, so that you understand that what you see is an interpretation of history, um, not necessarily history itself. That was good. That you was got good. me wanting to go to Montgomery. It's only a couple, a few hours from Atlanta. Yeah, we should go. We should road we trip. Have to go. Yeah, take the the kids down there because my husband's yeah. a huge history buff as well. Uh, Black history so to be scared. specific. So um, I, I think we we got to put that on our list of things to do maybe this summer. That. Yeah. Yeah, we should plan that. And maybe we could do a like part two live podcast. I know. So me and Arlisha are coming to Atlanta. We're doing okay. a Galentine's Day. Ooh, Ooh. We love Galentine's. So yeah, the historians will be in the ATL. We're going to go to um, the King House. We're going to hit up some historic sites. Yes, obviously, you know, the great black history here in Atlanta. So there's a lot to see and a lot to do around black history. Yeah. So with all that history <laughs> talk, friend, what are we drinking? Yes. So we have a good mama juice today uh, and we're titling this Black Parade. And the reason why, I mean, it's obvious. Y'all have heard Beyonce's Black Parade song. It's all about celebrating blackness and just the richness of our culture. And this was a rich conversation. So I think it's a, a very uh, relatable name for this drink. And Devin actually came up with the name of this drink. So <laughs> what it has is two ounces of bourbon. And I'm going to say we should use a black-owned bourbon for this one. Something like an Uncle mm -hmm. Nearest, right? Uncle Nearest is really good. Um, 
But definitely uh, two ounces of bourbon, um, six fresh raspberries, six to eight basil leaves. And let me give some context. So I told y'all Jonathan is like a history buff. And he did some research and learned that a lot of our black ancestors were herbalists. Like they used the herbs to nurture and care for our ancestors during everything that they had to physically, mentally, and emotionally deal with enslaved. So that was a fun fact for me. I never knew that. Um, So we incorporated some herbs in that drink, and those are those six to eight basil leaves, uh, one and a half ounces of fresh lemon juice, and a half an ounce of simple syrup. So I'm going to go over the ingredients again. Two ounces of bourbon, six raspberries, fresh raspberries, six to eight fresh basil leaves, uh, one and a half ounces of fresh lemon juice and a half an ounce of simple syrup. Put all that in a cocktail shaker and serve it over ice with a slice of lemon for garnish. And if you're a mama to be or you don't drink, you can have all of that, just no bourbon, and you can replace the lemon juice with lemonade. And that'll be a really good summer, Mm -hmm. spring lemonade drink. So that's our mama juice for today, Black Parade. Love it, love it, love it. Can't wait to try it. I'm not drinking right now, <laughs> giving up sugar and all that stuff, trying to be healthy, but can't wait to try it. I, it sounds really good. Uh, so the next segment is Mama's Corner, and this is my favorite part of the show because this is our opportunity to connect with our listeners and our guests. And typically, you all write in, we ask a question to our guests, and we kind of dissect that question. But sometimes we're reflective, and I feel like this is an episode where we can be reflective. So I have an additional question for Kim. And so, well, something Kendra and I came up with. So we believe you are a very like high achieving woman, right? How do you manage to keep it all together? Um, because one may see you and it's like, she's so grateful, graceful. She's so knowledgeable. Like she's a great mom. Like she is just well put together. So how do you manage this, all of this? And if you're not well put together, you can say that too, because I feel like people see Kendra and I and they'll be like oh my goodness how are you doing all of this like you have a full-time job you're very involved in your children's lives uh you're doing this podcast you have other side businesses like how are y'all doing this so we're asking you that question today I do what every other mama does I drink the wine I cry to my group chat and (laughs) go to therapy yeah (laughs) therapy that that is good that is good quote unquote together whatever that means I think we got to throw that idea out of the window yes it's just not possible and I also think people really underestimate uh the impact of COVID like Mm -hmm. child care and yeah no uh it doesn't even exist after COVID um if you have found like trustworthy child care at a reasonable price like you have found a needle in a haystack right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't have it together. Um, yeah, drinking the wine. Okay. So <laughs> with you being so involved in so many things, do you ever experience like mom guilt? Every day, all day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I started the podcast asking you all, you know, do your kids vomit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Particularly when my kids are sick, I feel guilty. Like, what have I done? Um, just having kids, man, like I said earlier, it is the deepest level of the human experience because whatever they are going through, you feel it like, just a hundred times more. Um, I am not sick. I am not vomiting, but I am acting as if, you know, the plague is in my home because I don't know, just something about looking in the eyes of that little person that you birthed, you, you take full responsible for everything. You're looking in the hell. Do, do you have the dandruff? Why is it dandruff? Like, <laughs> you know, you're very just, um, you know, you're a mama bear. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, it's just very interesting to think about it from a biological perspective, a spiritual perspective. I have never, I am so nonchalant about so many things. And I I, I hope, not that I don't care about this podcast, because I think it, you guys are amazing, but I hope um, my, my thoughts and words have read um, true to me, which is right. that You know, I I do think that we should take certain things seriously, but I tend to be a a personality where I might cuss a little bit in my lecture. (laughs) You know what I mean? Do it. Um, This podcast. Yeah. (laughs) So I tend to be that way about many things, but my children like have shifted that about like everything is a concern of mine because it ties back to them. Um, so it's just interesting to see how, you know, people talk about they don't remember themselves prior to motherhood. I totally get that. Like, because yeah. my my value system has changed. My outlook has changed. The things that I'm concerned about have changed. Uh, what I do with my time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it, it's just completely different. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what I was talking about, but. My no, kids we feel you. Have driven me into, we feel in, you 100%. into being a totally different person. That's real. That's oh, real. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel guilty all the time when you when you pop off and yell at them, and then the next post you see on Instagram is about the gentle parenting. It's <laughs> like, oh God, I just messed them up for life because I didn't talk about them. Uh, apologizing to a four-year-old yeah I feel the mom guilt all the time we're not alone that's real we're not alone you're not alone one thing I learned about gentle parenting every day is a new day every day is a new day and sometimes they'll just take you there four going on 14 in my house so it's the four-year-old mouth and tone and the way he talks to me it's just like bro I'm really trying and you're testing my patience. (laughs) So I definitely understand you. Or like when you're trying to take care of business, um, I know you mentioned that you were just getting home at eight Mm o'clock. I got a dream job um, working as a curator at a museum in Birmingham last year. And my daughter called me a few times and said with her little three-year-old voice, I miss you. And I don't like when you go to Birmingham. I'm sorry, quit. <laughs> like it's just Yeah. Yeah. I I get it. Yeah. When, when will she be three again? Right. Right. 
And you don't you know, want the museum will be there, hopefully. Yeah. Right. I, I feel oh, you. It's real out here. I feel you. I've had a very long work week and it's, you know, I've been getting home late every day. I haven't, I barely saw my son today, but, um, you know, mommy has to work just like daddy does. And, uh, it's just one week, but we, he knows that mommy will be home and I'll see him in the morning. So we'll roll with that. Yeah. Well, thank you so well, much, Kim. Kim. This was great. <laughs> yes, it was. Sorry, Jinx Frank. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You you got it. Oh, I was just saying this was great. We really enjoyed you. Uh, we can't wait to do this again. We have to have you back. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we can do a live show the next time we link up. I know. Just putting that out there. But we really, really enjoyed it. you. I am with it. And thank y'all for having me. This is so cool. Y'all are so fun. Oh, thank oh, you. I was like... I was like, who is this? The real mama pod. What do they want with me? <laughs> I see. That I did this. I'm really appreciative of the invitation. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Yes, y'all could be anywhere on your Thursday nights, and you are kicking it with us at the Real Mama Pod. Yes. So, friend, where can they find us on the socials? They can find us wherever they like. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Pinterest, and we are at the Real Mama Pod. If you are curious about my life, I'm at Kendra Ferg underscore on Instagram. Twitter and TikTok, and I'm Kendra Ferguson on Facebook. Okay, and I'm mainly on Instagram. You can follow me at devgrace underscore. Mm -hmm. um, check out our website if you want to know more about us. Yes. If you want some mama merch, yes. out, we're in our sweatshirts today. Yes. But we have other things on there. We also have rich auntie merch, so check us out. Yes. Uh, you can reach us at www.therealmamapod.com. <laughs> uh, yes, and if you are listening to us, us, of course we need your reviews rate subscribe yes. review us we're on all major platforms yes. and youtube please make sure you leave your review yes we've been working hard on our videos as you if you started with us from day one you <laughs> see it's just been better with time so continue to be patient with us and we thank you. Yes. And one last thing. If you have something from Mama's Corner. Yes. <laughs> Please write my friend in Mama's Corner. Yes. You can write us at. Mama at therealmamapod.com. Yep. That's it. All right. <laughs> Until, Until next time. time. Bye. Bye.